From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, you are listening to Art Waves, a mini-series about art, local artists and spaces open to art in Mendocino County. I'm Victor Palomino, and with Marty Darling, we will explore the local creative sector with conversations about art process, inspiration, local spaces to see art or make art, and more. Today, we have a three-part episode. First, we have a conversation with Okaya Library about the art exhibit program and using the library as an exhibition space. Followed by a conversation with artist Kathleen Milner-Thomas, whose work is in display currently at the library. And we end with Marty Darling with her conversation with artist Bob Spice. You're listening to Art Waves in KCYX. This is Mendocino Public Broadcasting. For the first episode of Our Waves, I wanted to start with a place that is very close to me, the public library. I use the library in many ways, and it was always a welcoming space and point of reference as I was assimilating to this country. I also like how libraries evolve and adapt to changing times, experimenting with their space and different types of programs to keep public coming to their doors. Libraries are now using their buildings to art display, offering a non-traditional space for artists to show their work and at the same time giving library users a taste of their local talent. We visit the Ukiah Library building and sat with them to talk about their art program. My name is Jen Lyon, and I'm a library technician here at the Ukiah Branch Library. My name is Roseanne Wetzel, and I'm a senior library technician here at the Ukiah Branch Library. I, I think that our exhibiting of artists in the library space started with um, the quilt show that we do annually, mm -hmm. and um, so it grew from there. So. There's a tremendous uh, local quilting group that do, that do you know world class quilts, and so they get exhibited here, and so we're really fortunate to have that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it grew from that, where we started to invite artists that we knew, or um, even patrons. We've invited a lot of patrons that we knew that were artists, and have exhibited them here at mm -hmm. the Ukiah Branch Library. I mean, when we started, it was uh, every month we would change out the show but now um, after the pandemic we've realized you know maybe we don't want to take on as much as we used to yeah. and so now um, artists hang for two months okay. on the wall. Uh, we used to have the quilts up all throughout the summertime mm -hmm. and back in 2014 is when we um, started to participate in what used to be called First Friday Art Walks and mm -hmm. it's now Art Walk Ukiah. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of our uh, fellow co-workers at the time had actually um, had the library join in with the art walk. And in 2015 is when Jen and I kind of stepped in and she and I team up for all sorts of crafty programs. So we do a lot of maker spaces and take and make kits. Uh -huh. um, and so we brought more uh, of a hands-on arts and crafts to the First Friday Art Walk. Um, as well as incorporating music and mm. the visual arts. Okay. So, yeah, there's a creative um, hands-on um, programming component. So when um, patrons come uh, for, like, the 
art walk yeah. experience, they can expect to find some sort of um, interactive um, art experience that they can participate in. Mm -hmm. And the artist is involved with that experience or that's just a stuff? Sometimes it depends on the artist. Yeah. We've had uh, different artists that have actively uh, participated in teaching a skill set. Mm -hmm. um, for example, Tim Poma, he led a, a painting session for families and children. Mm. And that was really sweet. Um, we had another uh, artist, Folk Art Struzbecker, the first time he showcased here. He um, had done an exhibit in Germany that he recreated here, and um, it it involved uh, different types of dyes and mm. materials. <laughs> we did <laughs> his work is um, he takes l long exposures, mm. uh, overnight exposures of like desert of desert sky mm -hmm. usually, and so he did um, and he did a a slideshow mm -hmm. and he was manipulating somehow on the screen um, fluid and mm, color okay. and so we replicated that for our visitors with pans of milk <laughs> food coloring and soap yeah. huh. and it does that so same sort of thing when you put the color down and then drop soap in it disperses yeah. um, the it color creates kinds of figures yes yeah, yeah. 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 so fluid. Um, that was one of our early experimental, experiential <laughs> <laughs> programs. How do you select uh, the artists? How is, what is the process? Some of them find us. Mm -hmm. um, and when they come and ask if they can uh, showcase here, usually we ask to see uh, if they have a website or any kind of um, you know, photos on their phone that they can show us. Mm -hmm. um, and then if we, we go to exhibits as well. So we've gone to see artists um, at different uh, art walk locations. And um, we've found some phenomenal people that way. Mm -hmm. um, also, just people, we have, we have a volunteer who's a phenomenal um, painter. And mm. so, you know, it's, it's pulling from the people that we know as well. Yeah. That's very uh, library-like. Yeah. <laughs> because it's always like uh, around the community, mm -hmm. getting from the community and supporting the community. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was going to ask. We uh, just commented that uh, libraries, they serve in many different ways. So how do you see the public respond as a, uh, the libraries and art space? Mm. Well, there wasn't anything like that for a significant amount of time. And there is now more so with medium, um, but we were filling a hole in mm. the community that that it needed to be filled, and mm -hmm. so that's kind of where Jen and I developed doing more of our programming that involved crafting and learning different types of skill sets. And sometimes it's not necessarily craft related, but mm -hmm. skill related. So you know, sometimes we um, did tea blending. Mm. Mm. And we also did a summer program that was um, bug spray made <laughs> from right. essential oils. <laughs> so, you know, we're inspired mm. by um, by the seasons mm -hmm. and um, things that we see on the Internet or things that, you know, books, you know, because we're shelving books continuously throughout the day. Mm -hmm. We'll get inspired by something that we see on the cover of a book and open it and go, oh, we could we could make face lotion. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> or you resin know, jewelry. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're inspired by the books and we're inspired by, you know, just our passions. Yeah, I think it, the nice thing here at this this particular library is we've really been encouraged to bring our passion to work. OK, uh, so we both like art 
and um, have different specialties. I we joke jokingly say that I I do the craft fails, <laughs> and and Jen does the craft successes, so we can know how well a program will do with the general public. Um, if Basically. I can't do it, maybe we should readjust it. <laughs> She's my guinea pig. I yeah, am. So I, I was going to say, <laughs> art's guinea pig. Yeah, and when we present programming, because um, mm-hmm. Art Walk is not the only creative program that mm-hmm. we do, we we do a makerspace as well. And and I will say, we are not experts mm-hmm. on this. We did it once. So we've done it one more time than, than you will have done it. <laughs> so... Um, so we all learn together and okay. it really is a lovely bringing together of community and you know people of all walks of life and all ages and um you know it just very heartwarming experiences mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's soul saturating yeah mm-hmm. very. um do you have a, a exhibit space It is a wall, a long wall um, on the east side of the library above the public computers that extends into the DVD area and then just across from the circulation desk. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we leak into the children's library too. If the work mm-hmm. is appropriate for the children's room, we'll move works into there as well. So we can only accommodate um, two-dimensional work yeah. at this time. Usually, how many pieces uh, an artist can have? You know, from as few as a dozen to as many as 30. It, it just depends on how big they are. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've we've done, you know, um, salon style hangings. Mm-hmm. You know, so the 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 wall is is many different paintings, different mm-hmm. sizes to accommodate and get in as many pieces as we can. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've done photography and oil painting and acrylic painting, watercolors, Pastels. collage. Yeah. So if it's two dimensional, we pretty much have done it. And you you try to uh, tie it with the art walk? I mean, you do any kind yes. of receptions? You do things yeah. Like yeah. Events? So we're a part of the art walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with with that there's information that goes out to the public about the art walk and the locations that you can visit mm-hmm. uh your current artists like uh, what can you tell me about kathleen miller thomas is um new to our area mm-hmm. she um has studied in France and um, has lived along the coast of California so she has painted in Europe she's she's a plan plein air artist she likes to be outside and um, work from reality um, so she's painted in Hawaii and Europe and mm. here on the California um, coast as well and inland um, so she brought with her um just on tuesday we installed a lot of paintings of uh the carson river here in california and um i said you know these paintings really speak to a inland mendocino summer but we all go it gets hot and so we all go and try to find um, a nice cool place to hang out and um, the river is one of those places that Mm. we hang out so The, we grouped those river pieces together because they really speak to summer here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't think Kathleen will mind me saying that she's um, she's a mature artist. <laughs> and um, so she brings, she has years and years of experience as a, um, an artist and she really brings a lovely um, quality to the library with her artwork. Mm-hmm. So. What kind of medium does she She's use? an oil painter. Oil painter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Primarily, yeah. Uh, the exhibition, how long is going to be? So first Friday will technically be the first day, and it will be up for um, all of July and August. We'll take it down on the 26th of August, and then we'll actually have our next artist is one of our staff members. Oh. Mm-hmm. So. What, what kind of art? Alex is one of our library assistants and one of our newer hires, and um, her work, she is inspired, I think, by manga, but uh, mm. with a um, more of a Day of the Dead um, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, And that speaks to her some of her heritage. Okay. And that's going to be after August for September? That will be September, September and, and October. October. Do you have any exhibition that you remember that you liked something that you think that it was like oh wow this fit this space really well oh so many mm-hmm. there's been so many Tamsin Donner is just lovely mm-hmm. her artwork is whimsical and magical and she frequently uses letters of the alphabet somehow in her paintings mm. and so you'll see that represented in different pieces um and like birds carrying letters you know Mm. (laughs) it's just it's very charming it's charmingly sweet Mm. and you just feel happy when you look at it and when you're around that so it's nice to have that kind of energy here in the library yeah Yeah. and charles montgomery Mm. has um shown a number i think we've shown charles three times and he's Mm -hmm. that volunteer that is a very talented um acrylic artist and um his work he frequently is inspired by art history. Mm-hmm. So it will be a depiction of a painting. He mm. will depict a painting within a painting, mm-hmm. but also with um, frequently with uh, like current uh, political overtones mm. as he, well. And he's also inspired by politicians and musicians. So he and his, his animals, his dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. So it's, it's and, lovely. Good yeah. French, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Jean North. Um, mm-hmm. We can't not mention Jean. She's another local artist. Mm-hmm. And her work is very uh, magical and mythical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, magical uh, realism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Good, good. Uh, if somebody is interested any artist is interested in participate what Mm -hmm. will be the best way to uh, to do it they can uh, stop by the library or give the library a call and ask for Jen or Rosie Mm -hmm. Um, usually if they leave their contact information we'll get back to them within a couple business days Um, but yeah Jen or Rosie here at the Ukiah Branch Library yeah and I think we're looking for somebody after October I think we have room for November December so Mm -hmm. yeah Um, the calendar's open for the next year so we'd love to uh, to see some new artwork on Mm -hmm. the walls that'd be great great and what's the best way to contact the library Uh, our phone number is 707-463-4490 again that's 707-463-4490 you can also contact us via our website that we have which is mendolibrary.org there's a little spot where you can leave a comment so they could always reach out to us that way Mm -hmm. and if you're looking up the ukiah branch library specifically off of our website uh, it should have emails linked there as well Mm -hmm. Um, people will frequently contact us on facebook or on instagram as well they'll they'll private message or dm us so that's another way to go if it's instagram it's uh, mendo library Mm -hmm. and for facebook it's the ukiah um Mendocino County Library specifically. So people can call the library at 707-463-4490 and sign up in advance for that. 
And I just want to say that I'm so grateful that we are able to bring these types of programs to the community and that we have community support to have the library stay open and to have these types of programs um, that they can participate and learn from. Mm -hmm. So very grateful for that. Yeah, and most of the funding for that comes from our friends of the library. Well, thank you so much for your time and for opening the space uh, for to artists and people that like to see art. Thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. You are listening to Art Waves. I'm Victor Palomino. Kathleen Miller-Thomas' artwork is currently on display at the Ukiah Library. And we talked to her about her life as an artist, her process, and using the gallery as an exhibition space. Kathleen Miller-Thomas. I have two last names. First of all, tell me a little bit about you as an artist and your trajectory, what you have done, and what brings you here to Ukiah. I don't know. Most of my adult life, I've messed around with art of some kind. I started out with uh, acrylics doing abstracts because I thought, well, nobody can say there's something wrong with it because it's abstract. <laughs> and and then I started, it took me a while to get around to taking classes and then I took a lot of classes. My background in school was in geography. I have a master's in geography. So I didn't study art. Uh, I didn't see myself as an artist, and but I kept doing art. Then I started somewhere in the late 1990s. I started taking. I took watercolor classes, and I didn't like. I didn't did not like watercolor. And then I switched to pastel, and I did pastel for a bunch of years. I took classes. I threw myself into it. I did a lot of plein air painting with pastel. Uh, and especially, it was very handy to travel with. So I did that in France. I did mm-hmm. pastels there. And then eventually, I decided to try oil, and I never looked back. Hmm. That I've been doing oil now for 22 years. I've been painting oil. And landscape tends to be what I like to do most. Uh-huh. But I've done a lot of mixed media pieces also. I love to paint in the Sierras, in uh, the uh, streams. Uh, not rivers, but streams, and I enjoy painting rocks. And so we we go up around Carson River. It's uh, seven eight thousand foot elevation, and the sky is so deep blue. It's just gorgeous up there. Hmm. Um, and I paint up there a lot. And the other place I like to paint is the ocean. Mm-hmm. I enjoy seascapes. I grew up next to the ocean, or almost one house from the ocean in Hawaii. So um, I like to be by the beach. So tell me a little bit about your process. Uh, somebody gave me a one of those containers that are for ice or picnics that are on mm-hmm. wheels, a picnic thing, you know, and it zips. And it's I use that. It has a like a suitcase. I have a fairly small palette, about seven or eight colors that I use all the time. And I have that with me. I always bring uh, canvases that I've primed. I use bright colors like red or pink to prime my canvases. I guess probably the largest I've taken on a, on a plein air trip is 
18 by 24. Um, that's pretty big to take. But I do that. I have an easel that I have a couple of easels that fold and uh, that I can pull out and open up. So I have, you know, like a bottle of water and, you know, sunscreen <laughs> my hat. And off I go. And, and, and my husband, because I get, when I'm painting, wherever I'm painting, I'm so lost in what I do. I don't hear things. I don't, I'm just gone. I'm mm. into the painting. And so I worry about bears, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, or, you know, whatever. I, so my husband usually is not too far away and he's reading and he helps me if I have to climb down over rocks to uh, get to where I'm going to paint, he hands me my supplies. Sometimes it's kind of hard to get to where I go to paint. Mm. So he hands me my, my supplies. And usually yeah. how long did you stay out? Oh, I, probably I would be three hours in one spot, three and a half hours. And I take a lot of photos mm -hmm. because I'll be finishing touches, you know, in my own studio space. So, um, and I don't do all paintings from plein air, but I do most of them okay. that way. So I like to paint in the same areas. Then you get to know an area. You mm. get to know what to expect. And you can see the differences with light and, 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 and times of the year. Yes, completely. Uh, what kind of paintings are you showing at the library? Uh, oil landscapes. I work with Jen at the library, and, and she picked out... what I brought in more than she needed, and she picked out I think 15 paintings out of, I brought in 21 and she picked out 15 that she could use. And I have paintings of uh, Hawaii, for instance, and Tahiti. We took those out and just left more seascapes and local, the Pacific coast, the Sierra scenes mostly. Yeah. There's some, there's a painting there from, of Idaho and there's one that I, from Wales. I think, oh, there's one in France. I, yeah, also. What do you think about the library as an uh, exhibition space? Well, it's part of the community, isn't it? It's, it's uh, the broader sense of the community. So I think it's a wonderful place. Mm -hmm. And I've exhibited in other libraries. So um, you, you go in there and you're going to look at something, right? You're looking at books, but it's nice to have something else to look at, you know, just as, um, I think it's stimulating. And if anybody is interested in, in art, in painting themselves, it's a, an opportunity to have another view of maybe if you've thought about painting, but you're only painting flowers mm. and then you go and see, say something of mine, that's more streams and rocks or beaches. And then a person might think, Oh, That's an idea. I could do that. You know, I hadn't thought about doing that. So, um, yeah, I think it's stimulating. And it is. And, I, and, and I, that's what libraries do, huh? <laughs> They stimulate people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I, I, another thing that uh, I, uh, I think that using the library as a gallery space, uh, I think it also brings more democratization to the art world because sometimes uh, you can have people going to the library and they will be exposed to the to artwork and maybe there's 
people they they will feel intimidated going to a museum or going to a gallery or going to a show like that. So I think that brings also opportunity to a different audience to your work. Oh, I think that's very true. I've always believed everybody has an artist inside of them. And 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 people say, "Well, I can't do art. I can't paint." And I and I ask them, "Have you ever tried?" You know, "Well, yeah, I tried. It was really ugly." Well, so was mine. <laughs> so what? When I'm painting, I start off and I'm, I'm all excited. Then I hit, the, it's the same stage with every single painting. Then I hit a point where I think it's really ugly. It's like, who, I, who do I think I am that I can paint? And then I get past that and I go, oh, this isn't so bad. And then I might hit another period where I think it's ugly again. And then I go a little further and I go, oh, now I'm getting somewhere. Oh, okay. This, okay, now it's working. <laughs> I think every, I think it's true. Anybody can paint. Yeah. yeah. I like it that it has a broader audience at the library. I really like that. I'm also very, uh, libraries have been like a second home to me since mm. I was a little girl. So mm-hmm. I enjoy being in them. So you're yeah. new to the area. You're new to Ukiah. Well, in a way I am. Uh, we just moved here in six months ago. We moved to Ukiah, but I've owned property here, this property where we're living. I've owned it since 1997. I inherited it. My parents lived here in 19, they bought this property in 1963 and lived until they passed away. Mm -hmm. So I've I've spent a lot of time in Ukiah since 1963. How's that? Yeah. A long time. It's a long time. And do you have a... A long time. Do you have places here that you like to paint and places that you go and visit with your canvas? Yes. Well, I haven't done any plein air painting here since we moved here because it was just this spring. I mean, you know, we just moved here in January Mm -hmm. and we were so involved in that that I didn't get, I haven't done any plein air painting, but I have started paintings here. I have two um, that I'm working on right now and if any time I see a place, I'll see a view that I like, I'll stop hmm. and I'll think about, do I want to come back and look at this at another time of the day? I have a place down on uh, just south of uh, Hoplin, you know, going towards um, uh, Cloverdale along the river there that in the early morning in the winter or even in the fall, I was there, I noticed it in the fall, it's gorgeous and I want to... Um, uh, paint that. I've already put it in my head. I'm going to be coming back. I'll be there at seven o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and I know exactly where I want to paint. It is an incredible scene. So sometimes I just take photos of scenes that I want to paint, and and other times I I make plans as to what what's the best season, what's the best time of day mm-hmm. to go paint this. You know. Mm-hmm. That's, so I'm I'm thinking about that all the time. Hmm. In fact, I don't think I don't realize I'm as I'm saying it to you, it's just so part of who I am that that's I do it all the time. Hmm. I'm always thinking about, oh, would this work? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would this work? Yeah, or not? Would this make? Sometimes I'll I'll do a sketch of something, and say, okay, this is I want to paint this, uh, and I'll I'll just do a quick drawing of it. And and I'll work from that when I get home. Yeah. So it's always you're you're always working. You're always thinking about the next painting. Yeah. 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 And, but I, I I will say that I did not think of myself as an artist. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. until a few years ago. And that was after many years of having shows and paintings and shows, juried shows. Mm-hmm. But it was very difficult to call myself an artist. Well, um, I think of artists as having a degree in art, and I didn't mm-hmm. do that. So I think that's um, that has been a challenge for me. And what makes you change your mind and, and, and think of yourself as an artist? Well, I, I don't know. It's like <laughs> I start looking at all these paintings that I've done and all the shows I've had, and um, it's like, wow, maybe maybe it's time I... I cop to it that I am. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's okay if I call myself that. You know, <laughs> it, it just seemed like I was giving myself an um, an honor, you know, that I didn't deserve. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I have the same thing with the piano. I've been playing the piano since I was six years old, mm. and um, I love the piano and I've had a lot of lessons from a lot of different teachers and I've gone to school and studied music but I never called myself a musician hmm. you know it's like that's very hard so um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add I just just that I think everyone who's ever even had any thought at all that it might be fun to paint should get a teacher Go anywhere. There's classes offered everywhere. Go get yourself into a class. And if you don't like the first teacher, get a second one. If you don't like the second one, get a third teacher. Do it until you find somebody that you resonate with and and then just start painting. That's uh, like you said yeah. at the beginning, everybody uh, can paint. Everybody's an artist. Yeah, I really believe that. I think unless you just don't even like to look at things, but if you look anywhere, there's something you want to look at. This is, I'm talking about landscapes, but it could be anything, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah. The person, you can paint the person sitting next to you or the chair. Yeah. 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 Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for uh, your time. Thank you so much. It's thank really been a, pr- uh, a pleasure and a privilege. I appreciate it a lot. From his home in Little River, Bob Spies works on his sculptures, prints, and paintings. A retired marine biologist, his long career focused on researching the effects of various pollutants in marine ecosystems. He documented the impact of sewage off the coast of Australia in Port Phillip Bay, studied radionuclides in the Marshall Islands, and researched the effects of petroleum in Alaska's Prince William Sound, as well as the effects of PCBs in the San Francisco Bay. He edited a book that compiled the lessons learned from the disastrous Exxon Valdez oil spill, and another about the spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Bob was captivated by marine biology as a child. I was raised in San Jose and then in Danville, which is in the East Bay, and... uh... My parents enjoyed the outdoors, and we did a lot of outdoor things, and we uh, went up over to the seashore on the San Mateo coast, and uh, places like uh, Bean Hollow Beach and other places, uh, natural bridges in Santa Cruz, and and 
I started looking into the tide pools and it was like, that was it. You know, I was sold on marine biology and uh, I was just totally incredibly fascinated by it at a young age. And I knew that I wanted to be a marine biologist from the time I was maybe in the sixth grade or something. When I got into high school, uh, you know, I started re reading pretty widely and I was uh, a big fan of Steinbeck. And uh, the whole thing with Doc Ricketts and you know, the uh, Cannery Row and Sweet Thursday and, and uh, then the whole thing with Ricketts and Steinbeck and then Joseph Campbell all getting together down in uh, Cannery Row and uh, having these uh, late uh, parties and talking about philosophy and as the fog blew in, it's just like I was totally sold on it. It's like this is unbelievably romantic and, and uh, this, is what, this is what I want to do, you know. Uh, if there's a way to do it. So, and I went to undergraduate St. Mary's College uh, in the East Bay and uh, got a BA in biology and then went on to the Pacific Marine Station, which was at that time in uh, Dillon Beach, no longer exists, but uh, a cast of colorful characters up there. And I spent two years in the idyllic environment there, living in Tomales, uh, on the... Uh, uh, just not too far from Tomales Bay and Marshall and uh, doing a lot of field work out in Tomales Bay. And uh, it was unbelievably romantic and interesting. I just loved the life. But uh, convinced that I had to go on for a PhD in order to really do anything in the field. And uh, that was significant. Otherwise, I'd be working for somebody else and kind of carrying out their program. So uh, I kind of bit the bullet and went down to the University of Southern California and got a PhD in, uh, uh, from the University of Southern California. Uh, I went through that program pretty quickly in about two and a half years. But, uh, I was poor and I had a family and I was uh, only making 240 bucks a month. <laughs> Marine biologist jobs in the United States were scarce even after Bob got his degree. His first job was in Australia. It was a research job uh, in Melbourne with the Fish and Wildlife Service, the state Fish and Wildlife Service. And uh, they had a lot of pollution problems in uh, Port Phillip Bay with sewage that was being dumped into the bay. And it was uh, causing a lot of enrichment and then a lot of algae to grow, which was kind of a nuisance. And then it would be cast up on the beaches uh, around Melbourne and then the flies would start breeding in it. If you've ever been to Australia, they've got an incredible fly problem that has a lot to do with the sheep and cattle that they raise in large numbers. But And the flies are pretty aggressive, so that was a, a big deal. And so there was a... It was when all the environmental concerns were starting to come to the fore and, uh, in the early 70s. And um, so they formed this big, large study to look at Port Phillip Bay and what was going on. So I spent a couple of years down there working on that. When I came back from um, Australia, I had this kind of urge to to do something with wood. And, uh, you know, I would uh, be looking at trees as I drove along, and I started imagining figures uh, of various sorts in, in the trees. And I was, and I started visiting museums like the uh, De Young Museum and looking at their African art. You know and uh, oceanic art, and uh, going, wow, this stuff's great. <laughs> I want to do something like this. So I started doing a few uh, 
things and I uh, kind of worked on it part-time. Most of my time was spent, you know, <laughs> doing my scientific career and, and that was very demanding because I was, I was uh, writing grants and writing papers and working full-time and then working at night and on weekends and holidays. It's uh, competitive science. Living on soft money, uh, so I wasn't really, for most of my career, supported by the institutions I was in. I was in the institutions. I, they gave me a place to stay, but I had to go out and get grant money on my own, on my own merits. And so uh, that kept me really busy. But spare time I had, maybe on a Sunday afternoon, <laughs> I would devote to, uh, to wood sculpture. You started the art in the 70s, and you were doing sculpture. Mm -hmm. And just talk about how all that evolved. Yeah, when I moved up here, I started spending more, more and more time, especially after I got my house built, uh, spending more and more time working on sculpture. And then I was taking some classes at the art center and interacting with other artists, because there's a lot of artists up here. I didn't really know many artists down when I lived in Livermore uh, for years and uh, knew a few. Uh, there's a lot of artists up here and, and you get feedback on your work and see how you're different and the whole I, you know, the whole exploring what, what making an art is about, where the inspiration comes from, you know, what does that all mean? You know, how do you differentiate yourself? And uh, where is your inspiration? And how does it evolve? And how do you change over time? All those questions. Uh, became uh, things that I really started to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about and working on. What did you find as inspiration? A lot of my inspiration came from uh, attending figure drawing classes up at the uh, Art Center. And um, uh, Don Paglia and I had organized uh, for a few years a figure drawing group that was on sculpture. So we would mostly do clay sculpture and we would hire a model and maybe get a dozen people in there and everybody would chip in to pay the model and, and we would kind of work the, and then it kind of took off from there. I, I wanted to do more abstract work rather than the more realistic stuff that, that the model tends to pull you towards. Um, and so I started doing more abstract stuff and then kind of cubic and then my you know ongoing interest in tribal art and cubism kind of came together, you know, like it did for Picasso. And then I, in fact, was influenced a lot by Picasso and Brock and, uh, you know, Arkhipenko and some other other uh, Cubist artists. And I, I did a lot of that. Uh, and that's still a strain in my work. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got, uh, after that, I started to get interest in other forms. I started doing a little bit of plaster work. And uh, then I thought people were casting uh, bronze up, up at the art center. I said, no, well, that looks really interesting. <laughs> so I got into doing some bronze casting and uh, did a little bit uh, at the art center. And then uh, we started uh, getting a group of people together to actually rent the, uh, the casting part of the, you know, in the furnaces and everything for a day or two and uh, from the art center and doing our own thing. And uh, then the art center kind of lost that. Uh, uh, that that area was kind of taken over by the ceramics people. So now I, the casting that I do, I tend to take my work down to uh, Berkeley. To uh, there's a, a really really good uh, uh, people down there uh, at the. Uh, it's called Art Life. Uh, 
it's in Berkeley. And so, and I did a little bit of aluminum casting here uh, when I was doing the, some of the bronze casting, and uh, that was interesting. But I was, I was, I was felt a little bit strange about it because it was producing a lot of black smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to pack, you'd carve, you'd carve the piece in styrofoam, and then you'd have to pack it into oiled sand, and then you pack in oiled sand, and you'd bring these these various shoots down to it and then you'd pour it go up to the surface of what you're packing it in and you'd pour the liquid bronze in it burn out the styrofoam and go down and burn out the whole all the styrofoam positive and it would displace it and make a beautiful uh, aluminum thing which we'd had to work on but in the meantime when the the oil was burning and the styrofoam was evaporating and yeah. and you'd be wearing these masks and the smoke would be going up and Neighbors would come over and says, "What that? What's that all about?" Yeah. So, we, we, yeah, we kind of went off that after a while. Yeah. Nobody actually does that star much. Uh, even people at Berkeley won't do it. Uh, don't do aluminum that way. Just too polluting. Yeah, too polluting. Yeah. yeah. So, talk about all the different media you do. Yeah, well, I kind of migrated a little bit into. Um, Printmaking. A lot of sculptors kind of somehow naturally want to make prints, and so I uh, I, I got into lino block printing and wood block printing. Uh, I don't know, but six or seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer, maybe eight or nine years ago, and uh, started doing that, and um, that turned out to be a lot of fun, and uh, so I, I I still do that sort of work, and I've got a fair body of work in that, but then uh, I got into doing monotypes. There's all kinds of different printmaking, as people know, and I got into making monotypes and using uh, aluminum sheets and putting, ink, you know, one-time ink thing, uh, spreading ink on that, either by painting it or just moving around with uh, various tools and getting pleasing patterns, and then you run it through the press with a piece of paper on top of it, and you make a, an image. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed doing that. I, I'm still, that's kind of the thing that is, it's very, um, it's very intuitive and quick and very of the moment. Uh, where the wood block and, and uh, lino block printing takes a lot more planning out. And if you're going to do colors, you kind of do a color at a time. I even, you know, going back to wood blocks, I even took a course from a friend of mine doing Japanese wood block printing. And uh, I started to do a little bit of that. And I said, you know, you're not going to live long enough to get, <laughs> get any good at this. <laughs> well, how did you approach art? You had been used to this scientific rigor. Yeah, I just found it a completely complementary kind of thing. Uh, I guess in simplistic terms, you can say you're working both sides of your brain. But I think that's overly simplistic because I think in science, uh, some some of the best work I've done came on almost momentary inspiration that came. Uh, I remember one time I was in the shower and just like, oh, you need to do these. Somehow it just came into my head. You need to do these carbon isotope studies because I had somewhere I read about that and it just popped into my brain and I happened to apply it to what I was doing at the time. It turned out to be great. You know, there's creativity in each of them. Yeah, yeah, and, and 
I'm kind of a fan of Ian McGilchrist, uh, who talks about, he's written a book called The Master and His Emissary. It's about the right and left part of the brains. And it's not really simple, like a lot of people think in pop culture. It, uh, they're really two, th- they're two parts of the brain that are looking at the same thing at the same time. People may want to look into that. It's really interesting. Just to talk a little bit about the process. I, yeah. When I first started, uh, when I was back, you know, doing full-time career, I would sit down at night sometimes and, you know, the family would be there in front of the TV and I would, I would have a little sketchbook. I would just be doing like random stuff. And it was pretty bad for a few years. And then I started to, I think, I don't know if you call it self-teaching. I think that's a, a misnomer. I think self-learning, you know, and I was sketching and sketching. And finally got some stuff that I thought, hmm, that's kind of maybe. And so I started using that as a guide to inspire me. What am I going to do next? And, and uh, then I would try to copy what I was doing in three dimensions from two dimensions. Uh, but then um, I had a breakthrough uh, with that piece that you admired uh, made out of incense cedar. And uh, I started, I started doing, uh, following a little bit of a sketch, but then all of a sudden I could see that this should go in a different direction. Somehow my brain told me this needs to go in a different direction. And then I just started interacting with the material more and kind of following my instincts about where this should go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out to be a great piece. Yeah. And uh, I was so happy. I was just on a different plane when I made that. It was just totally inspiring. Um, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is as much fun as science, but it's a different kind of fun, you know. <laughs> and then, so I, I, I work less from sketches now, although I've got sketchbooks full and I still do some things. But uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, I'll just start doing something. And, and uh, like Osama Noguchi said, uh, let's don't make something. Let's just do something and see what we make. <laughs> it's uh, kind of the flipping the process around. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start working with the material and see what it tells us and see how we interact with it and where we go with it. See, it, it, you're not so much focused on the end product as you're focused on the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of artists work that way, you know. So you've got you've got so many different things here. You've got you've got all kinds of prints. You've got some paintings. You've got sculpture and all kinds of uh, materials. Mm-hmm. I had a gallerist over one time, somebody that owned a gallery, and she came in and she looked at all my stuff and said, "You're a gallerist nightmare." <laughs> <laughs> You're all over the board. <laughs> Do they, you know, they tend to want somebody they can look at and they can identify. But actually, uh, I've had other people tell me you know, later that there, there's a these things are all kind of connected in a way. They can kind of recognize the connections between them. Right, and yeah. there's a style that kind of yeah, yeah. flows through all yeah. the media. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I feel less depressed about it. <laughs> Tell me about your art day. How do you do it? Well, you know, it's really integrated with, um, I don't have a job. The only thing I 
I've got some outside things I have to do, and I've got friends I visit with at certain times, but I've got a lot of, a lot of free time. So, and I've got a vegetable garden outside, and I've got yard work to do, and I've got upkeep and cooking. And you live alone. And I live alone. Um, and so, as my, one of my friends said, I'm just kind of bouncing off the walls. You know, I go from one thing to the other. I work on a sculpture in the garage for a while. I get tired of it and go out and weed in my vegetable garden. Yeah. Where I'll come in and start dinner, and uh, while the sauce is cooking on low, I'll go out in the garage and do some more work on a sculpture. Or uh, the prints tend tend to take uh, more of my attention continuously um, because you've got to get the ink ready, and once the ink is ready, it's, you know you got got to got to print it and hang it up to dry, and then well, you've got the plate with ink on it now. You might also make three copies of it, <laughs> and uh, so th that that usually takes like you know five or six hours of my time if I'm kind of going through that process. And uh, it's very much kind of inspiration. You you get the feeling like this is I feel like doing it. I feel like doing it now. And then some days it's like I just don't feel like doing it at all, you know. And so I don't. And I'm lucky enough to have uh, Social Security and a little bit of retirement from University of California. Uh, not a lot of money, but enough to live on, so I don't have to sell art. Uh -huh. I, I like it when I sell a piece of art. I'm in, I'm in the gallery, uh, uh, Artist Co-op Mendocino. I've got a wall in there. And, um, but what I like about selling the art is somebody looks at it and it does something for them, and they're willing to pay some money for it. And I'm like, well, good. Somebody is going to take this and enjoy it. And I, I, I get a kick out of that, yeah. Yeah. These days, Bob considers himself retired from science, except for serving as co-host of the KZYX Ecology Hour once a month. But science keeps calling. Aside from doing the radio program, <laughs> Ecology Hour, I'm pretty much retired yeah. uh, from the scientific stuff. I don't do too much at all. When did you start the Ecology Hour with Tim? That was 2013. That's almost 10 years now. Yeah, we did take a, some time off. I think it was close to a year. We took off somewhere. Uh, but we've done 60 programs, and uh, and that is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy that, yeah. Uh, Tim's got a lot of uh, contacts in the bird world, and he was a geologist. <clears throat> he professional consulting geologist down in the Bay Area, working on groundwater problems for years and pollution. So we've got a lot in common, mm -hmm. although we complement each other. And he knows a lot more about birds than I do. And he's good at keeping the story on track, or I, I tend, yes, I tend, good. I tend to get into the uh, weeds a little bit sometimes. The <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I do something. You know, mm -hmm. I've testified in the National Academy of Sciences in front of the Senate, kind of when the, and then I did get involved in the in the Gulf spill, uh, and it was on the Presidential Commission as an advisor. But, when was uh, that? Oh, the Gulf spill was uh, what, 2010 the Audubon Society, and then the Ocean Conservancy asked me to work with him on some of the restoration aspects down in the, in the Gulf. I ended up writing a little, uh, a little. it was a, uh, a sh about a 60-page paper on the biology and oceanography of the, of the Gulf of, uh, of uh, Mexico. And uh, so that was, that was, I really enjoyed doing that. That was mm -hmm. fun to do with a couple of other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and then, but I was transitioning off. I was I was really into making art <laughs> yeah, by so that let's time. Let's get back to that. 
I've literally got hundreds of pieces of art, maybe 60 or 70 sculptures that I've done that you can see my house is full of them. And uh, I've got hundreds of prints and dozens of paintings. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the monkey at the typewriter. <laughs> Eventually, he's going to type something pretty good. <laughs> so what I would do for a show is go through and just pick out my best pieces and get, get some people that I respect to kind of help me. Mm -hmm. I've done that a little bit in the past. And uh, I had two one-man shows at the, at the Art Center. And I feel very fortunate to have been able to be in the Art Center at a one-man show. And, uh, and, and gallery number 10 is a small gallery, but I was able to have you know, 30 pieces of my art there. It, it's Yeah, it's good. And my stuff, like a lot of people, it tends to work better when it's together. I mean, just one single piece by itself, and then it's something else alongside of it that's quite different. But when you when you get a little bit of a theme going, because it's this, it's one, one artist doing most of the work, uh, then it tends to tie together and be a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's kind of how I would approach it. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. there anything you're trying to say with your art? Um, I, you know, I'm really skeptical about how valuable language is in critiquing or describing art, and uh, and I don't take artist statements. Um, too seriously, I think they tend to be a little pretentious uh, sometimes, and uh, I don't, because the art is one thing, and, and it's kind of like poetry. You're not trying to write uh, a narrative. You're trying to look at between the words. They're, they're, you're trying to convey an emotion by by picking out words and phrases and having rhythms and so forth. And I look at visual art kind of similarly. Uh, it, um, there's stuff there that it's a little, I guess a little bit like quantum mechanics. You don't, it's not defined. It's kind of here and there at the same time. And there's a lot of things going on and just look at it. And it's a non, it's a non-language experience to me. And, uh, I guess I'm a little, Maybe because I didn't go to art school, but I, I don't fully appreciate um, conceptual art because you could kind of describe <laughs> what they're trying to say in a way. And my my art, I think, tends towards uh, more about the experience that, that are common to people's lives, uh, uh, love, loss, uh, facing death, uh, our mortality, our how we get along with other people, how we relate, those things that are, in a way, timeless, and I try to kind of aim towards that. We just heard an interview with Bob Spies, a retired marine biologist and full-time artist who lives in Little River, California. For KZYXNZ, I'm Marty Durlin, and this is Art Waves, a limited series focusing on local arts and artists. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Art Waves. I'm Victor Palomino, and this is KCYX.
Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.